I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Well, welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. Welcome to episode one, where we're really just going to tell you who we are and why childhood anxiety is so important to us. So let's start with what's behind our name, Scrambled. Nikki and I went back and forth about a name. We came up with what I think were a lot of good ones, some pretty clever, some funny, and nothing really felt right. That was until I was brainstorming with a friend about this podcast, and I mentioned my son said when he's panicky, his brain feels scrambled. He's 11, and that's how he looks at his brain with anxiety. And just kind of like with real scrambled eggs when they stick to the pan, at least when I cook them, the name's stuck. <laughs> well, now I'm hungry. Yeah, we had scrambled eggs for dinner tonight. <laughs> it's perfect. It's mm-hmm, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, for this episode, we want to tell you a little bit about who we are and why we want to talk about mental illness in children. This project is important to me because I was an anxious kid, but I didn't really know that until I was in college. I always believed something was wrong with me, but because I felt physically sick, I didn't look at it as an emotional issue. I would feel nauseous all the time, constantly afraid I was going to get sick. I didn't want to go anywhere without my mom. And looking back, it was the perfect storm. I had a skull fracture at age four. I got very, very sick, very, very publicly at a Girl Scout function in the first grade. And one of my earliest memories of school was being called mean on the school bus by an older kid. Um, And after all that, my brain was like, hey... This world is a dangerous place. Sometimes people aren't very kind and you need to be careful or you might get sick or hurt or you might upset somebody. So, you know, throughout all that, my parents were wonderful. They were always supportive and loving. They gave us all that we needed and much of what we wanted. But those early events started me on the path to having more anxiety than I needed. My parents knew something was up. Probably around the time I was six, they did all they could. They took me to the doctor. They took my worries seriously. But no one was really talking about this then. At one point, the explanation was that I probably had a tooth infection that was making me feel bad. What? Yeah. In the fifth grade, I missed 52 days of school because I was afraid to throw up at school. Well, because of the Girl Scout event, I see that. All right. It, It tied together nicely. But somehow I got through that year and the one after that and the next and the next. But... I never really felt comfortable in my own skin, and I worried about everything. My worries had changed over time. I was always afraid of getting sick. I battled that one from time to time still today. But as I got older, I also worried about saying stupid things. (laughs) To be clear, I say stupid things all the time now, and don't worry about that nearly as much. Um, I worried about my clothes, what other people thought of me. The list went on and on. I got good grades, I had friends, and never again missed as much school as I had back in the fifth grade, but I was just a ball of anxiety. In high school, I signed up to take a psychology class because it looked interesting, and I discovered a whole world I hadn't known existed. And because of this class, I decided to be a counselor. But even as I planned for a career in mental health, I didn't realize that what I had been through as a young child had a name. That didn't come until college when I started learning about diagnosis. I remember the day in my psychopathology class, which was my favorite class ever, we talked about... Fun word to say. It is psychopathology. It just sounds fancy. Um, But we were talking about anxiety disorders, and my mind was blown. The professor cautioned against diagnosing ourselves or our loved ones, but it was so helpful to see words in a book that explained all that had plagued me when I was younger. Eventually, I got my master's degree in clinical community mental health, and I started working at the local mental health center as a therapist. 17 years later, my specialty is in the area of 
anxiety disorders in young children with a heavy focus on helping families and teachers to recognize and work with the early signs of anxiety so that children can build self-regulation skills and resilience to manage this beast of a thing we call anxiety. A beast indeed. Well, thank you very much for sharing your very personal story there, Nikki. Uh, My reasoning for wanting to do this project comes alongside a different path. I spent 22 years as a television journalist sharing people's stories. The last seven years of my TV career, I found a niche of doing news stories on topics that some say are taboo or people don't like to talk about. My first story was on infertility. My wife and I have experience in that field, and once we started talking about our struggles, we noticed infertility was so common, people just didn't talk about it. They suffered in silence. After that, I tackled miscarriage and infant mortality. Thankfully, my wife and I never experienced that, but we had close friends and family members who had. Again, actually pretty common, but nobody talks about it. I also tackled pediatric cancer. Here's a not-so-fun fact for you, Nikki, and everyone listening. Did you know that when you donate a dollar to the National Cancer Institute, less than four cents goes to fund pediatric cancer research? Wow. So that means these kids are getting the same chemicals that adults get, yet nobody talks about it. But that, thankfully, is changing. September is Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, And while it's not as well-known or popular as October being Pink and Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it is evolving. The color for pediatric cancer, by the way, it's gold. So that's September, wear some gold. My next series scratched the surface of mental health, and that was suicide prevention. In television news, we get ratings four times a year. They're called sweeps months. You've maybe heard of that. We had sadly had a couple of young people die by suicide in the fall of 2015. So I pitched the idea of a suicide prevention story for a November sweeps piece. It was denied because we don't talk about suicides on the news, which we didn't. The next sweeps month was in February. Again, sadly, a couple more young people had died by suicide over the winter months. So I pitched the idea again and again was denied. We don't talk about suicide on TV, Chad, I was told. Well, I said, maybe we should. May was the next sweeps month. Story pitched, story denied. So then I took matters into my own hands. I was the morning anchor and kind of did my own thing when it came to reporting stories. So I decided to do a story on suicide prevention anyway, and then run it on the morning show. I just felt we needed to talk about it. I began reaching out to families with the help of a couple coworkers, and those families were so willing to talk. One, to talk about their loved ones that they lost so quickly and unexpectedly, but they also didn't want another person to go through what their family was going through. Human nature, people grieve, we attend funerals, we support the families with food or money, and then we kind of move on. It's human nature, we all do it, right? But for the families left behind, it is still there every day, just as gut-wrenching as it was the day the suicide happened. It's been several years since I've done those interviews, and I still think of their loved ones and their families almost daily. That's something else I learned doing some of these stories, is tell loved ones you think of their family members. The last thing they want is for their loved one to be forgotten. And that really goes for any death, not just suicide. The last series I did was on childhood anxiety. In first grade, my son's teacher suggested that we get him tested for ADHD because he was very fidgety in class. So we did. He did not have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but instead the testing showed he had generalized anxiety disorder. So we then started learning more about how anxiety can actually mask itself as other things like ADHD. So we put him in therapy, and then I decided to do a two-part series on childhood anxiety, and I was introduced to a family whose nine-year-old had generalized anxiety disorder. I actually knew this family and had no idea anxiety was so present in their household. During the interview with the parents and their nine-year-old son, who was very articulate, by the way, it was like they were explaining my day-to-day life to me to my face. It was incredibly eye-opening, 
and I knew it could be to other parents too. The anger, the frustration these kids were feeling was actually anxiety, but at nine years old, you don't have the skill to verbalize what's happening. Having a child with anxiety has changed the way I parent, I say for the better, even though parenting just in general is hard, right? <laughs> yes. So that's an understatement. Many people will say, you know, if, if the child acts out, you got to punish that behavior. But at the root of that behavior is anxiety and they can't help it. Sometimes instead of punishment, believe it or not, the child just needs a hug or a word or two of encouragement. So to wrap up why I'm involved with this project, my son is a work in progress with anxiety. He's actually doing very, very well with it these days. And my wife and I have discovered that in general, not everybody understands this. We simply can't take the time to explain to everyone in certain settings. It would be great if we could just stand up and be like, hey, church congregation, my son has anxiety and crowds uh, are a trigger, so he may look like he's acting up or hiding under the pew, maybe not paying attention, but he's just trying to stay safe in a state of panic. He is listening. Trust me, I tested him one Sunday, and it came back to bite me in the home. <laughs> hey, entire school staff, my son has anxiety, and while ripping papers and kicking chairs is absolutely unacceptable behavior, his fight-or-flight mechanism is engaged, and this is how he's handling the situation. If you're at the Applebee's or the grocery store, and it looks like he's being kind of a little brat, it's, you know, people might look at us, or we feel like they're looking at us going, discipline that child. They're not being very good disciplinarians. And we're like, he's, we're proud that he's here out in mm -hmm. public doing things like that. So yes, it might look a little odd, but I think we're doing okay. Um, so over the last year, my wife and I talked and decided we had to do something to try to educate more people on how to deal with anxiety and really mental illness as a whole. So the first step, in my opinion, is talk about it. So here we are. In this podcast, we will talk. We will talk about anxiety and other mental health concerns that children and families wrestle with today. We'll tell you how to recognize critical signs and symptoms and also share information about treatment options and helpful resources. Last but not least, we will share relatable stories from children and families that have overcome the odds and found relief for mental health related symptoms. You know, Nikki, one thing I wanted to hit on on this first episode is something you talked about when you shared your personal story about why you're involved with this. You said you had more anxiety than you needed. We all have anxiety, right? It's kind of what keeps us safe mm -hmm. we we all absolutely do we need it it's it's necessary for safety it also motivates us mm -hmm. i mean that's the fight or flight it's mm -hmm. you know if you have a test or you have a, a big meeting coming up at work you get anxious and that's that's your fight or flight mechanism mm -hmm. kicking in correct? it's so. a biological process that kicks in to help move you forward it's kind of like the old hunting and gathering of the of the neanderthals mm -hmm. you know the saber-toothed tiger pops out you're either going to fight it and try to kill it and bring it home for dinner or you're going to run away yeah or you're going to become its dinner and and yeah. if you if you weren't afraid of it that would be a problem so anxiety plays a very important part in in our everyday functioning um, but sometimes we just have more than we need and there's a lot of reasons for that that we'll get to um, in future episodes. But the, the key here is that, you know, we want to find the anxiety that we have, mm -hmm. figure out how to work with it, how to funnel it into, you know, being functional and feeling good and having good relationships. And just opening a conversation, how to get the general public to understand mm -hmm. this is a thing. Mm -hmm. And you hear a lot over the last year with the, the pandemic of anxiety shooting through the roof, through mm -hmm. people of all ages, but especially children. And it's not one of those topics that's just here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, anxiety right. has been here. You mm -hmm. talked about it when you were a kid. You just didn't, didn't have a name for it. Yes. Nobody, I called it feeling yucky. That yeah. was my word. And again, I was 22 years old before I realized that what I was feeling all those years was actually anxiety. And, and also that it was fairly normal. And in response to the situations I'd lived through, I probably should have felt anxious in certain situations. But like you said, people aren't talking or weren't talking about mm -hmm. it, but now they are. And mm -hmm. I think... 
you know, if, if COVID has brought anything good, it's the discussion of mental health and especially for children and families and how all of this has impacted them. So Yeah, it's just like one of those things where if you, you know, if you can't see, you get glasses. Mm-hmm. So people just don't talk about mental health mm-hmm. issues, whether it be depression or mm-hmm. um, OCD or uh other conditions that I've learned about in doing this, like misophonia, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. and that's that's so intriguing to me because it's the sound of, it's the reaction to sounds. Mm-hmm. Someone smacking their lips when they eat, and it's just a matter of that it's so uncomfortable for that person. Mm-hmm. But it's a thing. But it's a very real thing. And the more we talk about it, the more people can recognize, you know, one how to work through it, but also that it's not that abnormal. That a bunch of people are walking around with the same struggle and I think that's why this podcast is so important to me and and something I really want to do because I want it to become everyday household talk I don't want it to be something that you shove under the rug because you're embarrassed or ashamed or you don't know how or to admit yeah I I have to go to therapy you know Mm -hmm. I'll have a doctor's appointment yep you know talk about therapy and it's it's good we're going to talk about when you should go to therapy in a later episode too so that uh, pretty much wraps up episode one of scrambled throughout the season we are going to touch on anxiety versus nervousness trauma and its effects on mental illness, how to spot anxiety in children and help them, and then helping versus overhelping a frustrated child. That might be one of my favorite episodes that I'm looking forward to. (laughs) So subscribe now so you won't miss any of these upcoming episodes. 